Good morning, everyone. So today's scripture reading is Luke 23, verses 44 through 49. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness the sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. You can be seated. I want to introduce to you Jim, Dr. Jim Leverett. Um, I first met Jim in the school year of 1992-93 or thereabouts. I was a student at North American Baptist College, and Jim was pastoring a church in Edmonton and came to teach, to co-teach a leadership class. And uh, met him then. We've had opportunity to interact since that time. Um, most recently, Jim had served as the academic vice president of the Taylor Seminary, and from there transitioned to the associate regional minister position of the Alberta Baptist Association, uh, an association of which we are a part, 60 plus churches. It changes all the time, and you can give us today's figure if you want. Um, this last spring, a transition happened between uh, our regional minister, Bob Walther, and Jim, who was our associate regional minister, and over about a two-year leadership transition process, the roles got reversed, and now Jim is our regional minister, which means he's pastor to the pastors and gives, um, I'm not sure how you'd say it, uh, I want to say oversight, but there's authority implied in that. And your authority is influential authority. It's moral authority, not necessarily positional authority. He, he shepherds our vision, um, reminds us to face in the right direction. And, uh, and over the last couple of years, we've gotten to work together a fair bit, and I appreciate Jim always have, and we're just glad that you're here. You're going to share with us a little bit about the ABA, talk to us a little bit from the scriptures, and then guide us in communion. So why don't you come and do that now? Thank you, Ken. Appreciate it. It is, uh, it is a joy to be with you today. Uh, we tested this lapel mic earlier and had issues. Uh, we may get it right. If not, I'm going to grab a mic and uh, uh, carry on from there. But it is, it is great to be with you. I love the opportunity to come and to share with you, uh, to be a part of the ministry that you have. Uh, to be reconnected with friends, uh, it, is, uh, it is a joy to be with you today. Um, this, uh, my involvement this morning uh, really started uh, with a request to come and give a bit of an update uh, concerning the Alberta Baptist Association. And, um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm going to do that. Uh, I'm going to share with you a few things that are happening. If you have a pen and paper or pencil out, I want to ask you to write down some numbers. Uh, now, you may not remember all of these numbers after we're finished, but write down some numbers. 
Don't you love it when someone starts a report by saying, I'm going to give you some numbers? Uh, sounds very statistical. Uh, I don't know about you, but I never did well in math. And so um, uh, when someone says numbers, I tend to cringe a little bit. But these are, these are important numbers. Write down the number 64. 64. That is the number of churches that are a part of the Alberta Baptist Association. Uh, we stretch from Grand Prairie in the north to Lethbridge in the south. We actually have three churches that are not in Alberta. One is in Creston, one is in Golden Prairie, Saskatchewan, and one is in Lloydminster, just over the border. They are almost in God's country, just over the border, into flat country. Um, when, uh, when I took the position as regional minister a few months ago, we actually had 66. My claim to fame is that in literally within two months, I was able to reduce the size of the association by two. Um, that's not what I want as my mark on this association. We had one church, a relatively small house church in Athabasca, that simply chose to go their own way. And so with God's blessing, we let them. They asked to be released from a relationship with the ABA, and so uh, we did that. We also had a church close. Uh, the church, White Avenue Christian Fellowship, used to be Bethel Baptist in Edmonton. Many of you remember Bethel Baptist. After 50 years, uh, their ministry came to an end. Uh, the, uh, on, on July the 10th, I was there for their closing service, and the members of the church that voted to uh, discontinue were eight in number. They had gone that far, so now we are 64 churches. We're growing just the wrong direction right now. So write down the number 64. Let me also ask you to write down the number 17. 17. 17 is the number of pastors and spouses that are registered to attend uh, our event called Welcome to Team Alberta. Now, we started this uh, uh, a year ago, had our first Welcome to Team Alberta event last year, the second one this year. This is a time where, where Bob and I and, and um, many from leadership positions within the association call together those who are new pastors and spouses. Now, you might think, 17, that's a lot of new pastors. This is senior or lead pastors, this is youth pastors, this is associate pastors, this is children's pastors. You know, when you've got 64 churches, there's a turnover that takes place. And there's always new pastors coming in. And so we invite these new pastors and spouses to, to Caroline, and we spend a great couple of days just getting to know them and, and, and sharing with them about the association. Um, and actually, we have, all, we have someone coming from our international office to talk about the conference. But we, we help them understand the width and the breadth of the ministry of the Alberta Baptist Association. So write down the number 17. Write down the number 10. Write down the number 10. That's the number of churches in this association right now that are searching for a senior or lead pastor. Now, a few years ago, we had none. It, and, and it just seems in the last couple of years, there have been, there's been a fair amount of, of transition that's taken place. Ten churches looking for a pastor. Um, and, and as you may fully understand, finding 
A senior or lead pastor is not an easy thing to date. In fact, it takes um, probably an average of 18 months from the time that a, that a church launches the search to the time that they install a new pastor, an average of 18 months to find a pastor. It's not an easy thing to do. But that's the number of churches right now that we are working with. Uh, and, and, they, and they range from, from um, uh, small country churches like First Baptist Church in Golden Prairie, Saskatchewan, uh, to fairly significant churches with, with breadths of ministry and multiple staff, like uh, Greenfield in, uh, in Edmonton. Ten, number of churches who are searching. Write down the number six. Write down the number six. This is the number of ABA pastors that are preparing to participate in our ordination workshop this, this fall. Uh, every year, we, we invite those who are in the ministry, those that God has called into, into the ministry, to enter into the process towards ordination. And, um, and we hold this workshop. This is the beginning point of the ordination process. And uh, so that's how many right now uh, are, are preparing to attend our ordination workshop uh, this, um, this fall. Write down number six. Write down the number two. Write down the number two. This is the number of pieces of property owned by churches that have now been transferred or are in the process of being transferred to the ABA. I mentioned the church in Edmonton that closed and we're in the process of transfer of property. Uh, we had a church a number of years ago in Athabasca that closed and there's a piece of property there that is now belongs to the ABA and we're trying to sell property. Um, so pray for us. This is a big job. When I became regional minister, I didn't realize I was going to be a realtor and a landlord. Uh, but it has landed in my lap. But we have two pieces of property we're trying to deal with right now. Write down the number two again. This is the number of individuals, number of pastors that have been ordained this, this year in the ABA. Uh, one in Edmonton, one in Calgary. Um, we, in fact, the one in Edmonton happens at the end of October. Um, but, but two individuals have gone through the workshop, gone through the process of meeting with the, the uh, um, uh, ordination or the credentials committee and the ordination council and, and so on, and either have already or will be ordained. Write down the number one. This is the God we serve. One God. One God, a great God. A God who understands all of these other numbers better than we do and holds them in the palm of his hand. And so in the midst of all of our effort, we continually remind ourselves that this ministry belongs to God. It is his church. It is his association of churches. One God. Now, if you can fill up the rest of your page with an infinite number. Just keep writing all the numbers you can think of. This is the number of blessings that come from the hand of our God. Eternal, infinite blessings. God has, has, has bestowed himself on us. And out of the storehouse of his riches has given us more than we could ever ask or imagine. An infinite number. There are great things that are happening in this association, and I, don't wanna, I wanna thank you as a church for being a part of that. Uh, we appreciate your partnership 
We appreciate your support. We appreciate your friendship so very much. Yeah. Kalmar is our newest church plant. I could, I could ask, have you write down another one. That is the number of brand new churches in our association. This is a, this is a great story. Um, a couple of years ago, one of our country churches, Wiesenthal Baptist in Millet, little, it's at the end of the road, you know. Um, you can see it from number two highway if you drive by and look back. But that would be called a distracted driver. So you don't, you don't want to do that. But uh, Wiesenthal Baptist Church, they, they said, we are 75 years old and we've never had a baby. And so they decided, this little country church, 120 people, they decided they were going to mother a new church. And so they... They started uh, going out as leadership to the surrounding communities around Millet and, and Watasquin and, and, and so on, and praying that God would direct them to the community where he wanted a new church. And as they prayed, they kept coming back to Kalmar. They couldn't leave Kalmar. And so they kept praying and praying and praying and decided that they would, uh, that they would plant a church. So we helped them. In our, in our um, way of doing things, um, the association or the conference doesn't plant churches. Churches plant churches. And so we helped them plant. And so we've been working with them to plant this new church. They started with a Bible study. They now have Sunday morning services. And um, the most bizarre part about this, you know who the, the interim church planting pastor is? This 82-year-old guy named Jake Leverett, my dad, is the church planter there. And at 82, 83 as of yesterday, the guy just doesn't know when to quit. He's like the ever-ready bunny of church planting, you know. Uh, but he's there every Sunday preaching. He's doing Bible studies every week. And there is a new witness, a new testimony that is growing. And along with that... We, as an association, are wanting to step up to the plate in support. We're asking churches to support this ministry through one-time gifts or through uh, gifts, uh, um, regular gifts, annual gifts over the next three to five years to help them get started. It's a, there's a great work that's taking place there. Anybody have a question about the association? Wait, lunch isn't until one, so... No, I'm, I'm just kidding. Um, if you have questions, I'd be glad to, to respond uh, afterwards or any time that you want to talk about what's going on. Um, I want to talk about what just happened here this morning. I sat there thinking, do I change what I was going to preach on? And I thought, no, I believe in the sovereignty of God. I believe that God knew that this was going to happen this morning. And therefore, the sermon that he has asked me to preach, he knew that those two should go together. And I don't know why. And so I'm not changing that. But I do want to take you, it's a verse that I'm going to use in my sermon as part of it, in John chapter 13, where Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. And he says to them, and I'm going to take this verse entirely out of context, so please forgive me. But he says to them, you do not understand what I am doing, but someday you will. You don't understand what I'm doing, but someday you will.
I don't know what it's like in your life, but there's a lot of things in my life I don't understand. I don't understand um, why some of us deal with disease. I don't understand why God chooses to take home some people and leave others. Mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters. I don't understand why some people lose their job and others don't. Why some people go through financial crisis and others don't. I don't understand. But God does. And he says to us, someday you will. I also know that some of what I don't understand, I won't understand until I stand in the presence of God. And then it won't matter. I don't understand, Ken. And I know you don't either. But this is not a surprise to God. And God can and will even use these moments in each of our lives to make us more like his son. I don't always like the tools God uses, do you? But whatever tool is necessary is what he's going to use. I don't understand, but God does, and someday we will. And until that day, we stand with each other in prayer. And I assure you that we in leadership in this association will stand with you. Brother, we're with you. Excuse me. <laughs> that just, that's, that's extra. I wasn't asked for that part. Yeah. Thank you. I would blow my nose, but I'm one of these guys that blows all over the place. And uh, you, wouldn't want, you wouldn't want that. Let's pray together. Father, uh, in the moments that remain in this service, we ask that you would be honored. You have been lifted up as we've worshipped you, as we have prayed, as we have given of tithes and offerings. You have been lifted up as we have laughed and as we have cried. And Father, I pray that you would be lifted up in our midst as we gather around your word and as we listen to you and then as we come around the table and we remember what you have done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me ask you, um, if you were given the responsibility of writing an epitaph for Jesus, what would you write? Now, an epitaph are the words that are carved into a tombstone and placed over a grave where someone has been laid. I don't know if you've ever had to do that. But if you were to write an epitaph for Jesus, what would you write? Epitaph words often come right out of Scripture. I have a brother. One of my, I have two brothers that have died. One of them uh, on the tombstone is written the words, to live as Christ and die as gain, right out of the Apostle Paul. Sometimes epitaph words um, describe something of the individual. I saw one says he was the life of the party. I guess that's why, what they wanted to remember about him. Sometimes they say something about the, the personality or the character or the career 
or the position. If you were to write an epitaph for Jesus, what would you write? As I thought about that recently, I, I wondered about some of the people that, um, that lived during the time when Christ was on earth. Uh, people who walked and talked with him hand in hand and shoulder to shoulder. I, I wondered about Mary, his mother. What, what would she write? Um, she might write something like, um, so misunderstood by so many. Or maybe she would write, um, he gave his life when he had so much life to give. Or if she became very reflective, she might say, he was my son, he was my savior. What about the disciples? What, what would they write? They might write something like, um, he had so much to teach us, we had so much to learn. Or if they gave the job to Matthew, Matthew was the long-winded one. He wrote the longest of the Gospels. He likes to use lots of words, very poetic in nature. He might write, um, his, uh, his mission was contagious. His message was revolutionary. His life was magnetic. His death was barbaric. What about the religious leaders, those who orchestrated uh, the events that, that led up to the death of Christ and his burial? They might write something like, uh, he died in disillusionment, or the carpenter who died as a criminal. What about Pilate? Well, in a sense, Pilate did write an epitaph. It was hung over on the cross above Jesus' head, the king of the Jews. But Pilate might write something else like, um, they got what they wanted. He got what he did not deserve. If, if you were going to write an epitaph for Jesus, what would you write? Well, today as we prepare for communion, as we focus our thoughts towards communion, I want to uh, plant three thoughts in your mind, three epitaph phrases, and suggest that these are the, are the words that we might carve into the stone that was rolled in front of the grave. That, that stone that was then rolled away because the grave could not hold him. The stone could not keep him. But on that stone, let's write these words. His death was his purpose. Now that sounds strange, doesn't it? It's not very often that you hear someone talk about their life or their death in that way. You ask someone, what is the mission of your life? Answer, to die. What, what, what is, the, what is the, the purpose of your life? To be killed. What is the goal of your life? To be falsely accused. To be illegally arrested and wrongly tried and convicted and executed for something I didn't do. You know, if, if we were to hear someone talk that way about their life, we would think something was wrong, wouldn't we? Maybe they're sick. Maybe they're delusional. Maybe they're insane. But when Jesus talked about his life and his death in this way, it was the most sane and focused thing that he said. 
And he didn't just say it once. This wasn't just a, a passing thought. You know, this, this fleeting idea that, that entered his mind and he just blurted it out. This was something that was woven through his message from beginning to end. You remember that passage in the Gospel of Mark where uh, Jesus is talking to his disciples about what it means to be part of the kingdom. And, and he says, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to what? And to give his life as a ransom for many. Or maybe you think about that passage in John chapter 10 where Jesus is, is uh, talking about the good shepherd. And he's talking about himself. And he says, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. His death was his purpose, and it was the theme of his message from beginning to end. He didn't just talk about it once. He talked about it repeatedly. Those who were with him heard about it over and over and over again. But not only did he talk about it repeatedly, but he planned it. You realize that? That Jesus planned it? Again, we don't think that that's a great thing to do. But he did. He, he chose when it was going to happen, where it was going to happen, and how it was going to happen. It was his purpose. There was one moment early in the Gospels where Jesus was speaking at a particular town. And uh, as he spoke, the people got so angry at him, so incensed that they literally grabbed a hold of him and drug him off to a cliff and their intent was to throw him over so that, so that he would die on the rocks below. And what happened? He walked away from them as if they were blind and couldn't see him. Why? Because it wasn't time. But then there's another moment in the Gospels where it very clearly says, that he turned his face towards Jerusalem. Why? Because the time was coming. Knowing what was going to happen to him in Jerusalem, he went there anyway. Knowing did not stop him. They didn't drag him to Jerusalem. He marched. They didn't force him to Jerusalem. He volunteered. His death was his purpose. From the moment that he left the side of the father to be born of a virgin to the moment that he climbed onto the cross and gave up his last breath, that's why he came. It was not a surprise. It was a plan that was formed in the mind of God in eternity past. His death was his purpose. And so as we write this epitaph for Jesus, let's begin with those words. His death was his purpose. But then let's write the words, the cross was his pulpit. Now, throughout Jesus' life and ministry, he, um, he preached in many different uh, places. You might say he had many different pulpits. He preached while in a boat anchored off of the shore. He preached while standing on the side of a mountain. He preached from under a fig tree. He preached in the synagogue. He preached in the temple. He preached while standing beside a pool. He, uh, he, he, he preached uh, to the masses. He preached to the individuals. And he preached to his closest circle of friends. 
He preached with, with power and with clarity and with confidence. But the greatest message he ever preached, he preached from a most unlikely place. You see, the cross was his pulpit. This, this, this was not a pulpit um, to stand behind. It was a pulpit to hang from. It was not sanded and smooth. It was rough hewn timber. It was not painted and oiled. It was stained with blood. It was not surrounded by instruments of music and worship and stained glass. It was surrounded by instruments of war and an angry mob. We call it the cross upon which Jesus died for our sin, but it is also the pulpit from which he preached his greatest message. From the cross, Jesus preached the message of love. God's love for the world. A father's love for a son. A son's love for a father. Love that had to be expressed. Love that could not be withheld. Once again, I take you back to that John chapter 13 passage. It says, having loved his own, he now sought to show them the full extent of his love. A characteristic of the love of Jesus is that it was never hidden. It, it, was, it was never something that, that we had to, had to hunt for to find. It's always demonstrated. Love. From this cross, Jesus preached the message of love. From this, from this pulpit, Jesus preached the message of grace, God's riches at Christ's expense, amazing grace, marvelous grace, wonderful grace, grace greater than all of our sin. We define grace as when we receive something we don't deserve. Paul says, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not because of yourself. Grace is when we receive something we don't deserve. When something is given to us that we have no right to. From the cross, Jesus preached a message of grace, uh, the message of, of a gift that is being given to all who do not deserve it. From this cross, Jesus preached the message of mercy. You see, if grace is when we receive something we don't deserve, mercy is when we don't receive something we do deserve. What do we deserve? The songwriter put it this way, saying, saying my sins demanded hell on him the judgment fell. I'm guilty. It's plain to see it should have been me. Isaiah said, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, mercy is when you and I stand guilty and, and condemned and deserving of the full extent of God's wrath, and it is not given to us. It is given to Christ instead. From, the, from the, the pulp, this pulpit, Jesus preached the message of mercy. From this pulpit, Jesus preached the message of forgiveness and restored relationships. 
And, and, and in doing so, he tells us that there is no sin that cannot be forgiven. Even in his, in, in his words from the cross, in, in, in one phrase of those seven last words of Christ from the cross, what does he say? He looks out over the, the soldiers that have just nailed him to a cross, over the religious leaders that have just conspired against him, over the people that have let this, the, let this happen. He looks off in the distance and he sees the disciples that have fled away from him. He looks down through eternity and he, says, and he sees you and me and he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. It's the message of forgiveness. Every once in a while, you and I run across and, and, and meet people who are so convinced that, that they can't be forgiven, that their sin is so much, that they have sinned so badly that they would never be forgiven. That is a lie of Satan. Because Scripture never says that. In fact, Scripture says, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just and will forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. From the cross, that pulpit, the greatest pulpit of all, Jesus preached the message of love and grace, of mercy and of forgiveness. And so let's write those words. The, the cross was His pulpit. Then let's finish by writing this. His blood was his provision. Paul calls it uh, the, the royal road, the, the way of redemption, the way of peace with God. The writer of Hebrew, Hebrews calls it the way of forgiveness. With his blood, Jesus brought to an end a sacrificial system that had been established centuries before. Today we will hold the cup in hand. And as we do, I want you to rem remember two things. First of all, the blood reminds us that Christ has borne the punishment for our sin. Christ has borne the punishment for our sin. Jeffrey Ebert of Habertown, uh, Pennsylvania, tells him of an event that took place in his life when he was just a child. Uh, he and his family had spent the day at Grandma and Grandpa's place out on the farm. At the end of the day, after supper, uh, it was time for them to, to drive back into town and go home. So they got in the car, and Jeffrey was sitting on his mother's lap. Now, that tells you something about when this story happened. That was before seatbelt laws, and before car seat laws, and certainly before distracted driver laws. Jeffrey was sitting on his mother's lap, and they're driving down this, this narrow country road, an oncoming car came over, crossed over, and there was a terrible, terrible accident. When the dust settled, Jeffrey's father looked at him and saw that Jeffrey had blood all over him. He quickly grabbed his son and examined him carefully, thinking that he was, he was cut and, 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 and hurt, but he couldn't find anything wrong with him. It was only then that he discovered that in the split second before that accident, Jeffrey's mother wrapped her arms around him. And it was her body that absorbed the, the impact. It was her body that was bruised and cut and bleeding. And it was her blood that was on him. In an infinitely more significant way, Christ has given his blood for you and me. 
Some of you remember the singer-songwriter by the name of Carmen. He did a song a number of years ago that, that tells the story of Christ being, being beaten and then carrying his cross to Golgotha. And time and time again, as the blood of Christ splatters on the face of the soldier carrying the whip, Jesus says, this blood's for you. And then when Jesus falls under the cross and his blood splatters on Simon's shoe, Jesus says, Simon, this blood's for you. And then when Jesus hangs on the cross and his blood flows from Calvary, he looks at you and I and says, this blood is for you. As we hold the cup in hand, let's remember that, that Christ bore the punishment. But let's also remember, because of the blood, we have help and hope. Dennis Fulton was a pilot with a missions organization who's, many years ago now whose job was to fly out uh, over remote regions of Africa and find communities, villages that had never been reached. And in doing so, to, to, to bring um, um, uh, food and medication and the gospel. He says on one time he was flying out and, and, and he came across this village and he believed that it was one of those unreached villages. And uh, so he landed his, his plane in a field nearby and as he got out of the plane, the people from the village came rushing out to meet him. He had never been there before, but they had heard about this strange bird that came from the sky. They had heard from other villages what happened, how there was medication and food. And they came rushing out to meet him. They were dancing. Obviously, they weren't Baptist. Dancing and laughing and singing and shouting and cheering. And they gathered around him. And there were two men who walked out from the village carrying a chicken. One held the bird by its feet and the other held it by its head. And as they, as they approached the crowd, they unceremoniously separated the head from the body of that bird. And the man holding it by his feet swung it around his head like this with predictable results. Blood splattered everywhere. Dennis was somewhat amazed and confused. He asked, what's the purpose or what's the meaning of this? And they said, for, for generations, it was the splattering of blood that symbolized to the people that help and hope had come. When you and I could not deal with our own sin, when we had no way of, of being free from our sin, help came in the blood of Christ. And when you and I have no hope for eternity, hope comes through the blood of Christ. And so as we write an epitaph for Jesus, let's write these words. His death was his purpose. From eternity past, that's why he came. He planned it. And he did it for you and me. The cross was his pulpit from which he preached the greatest sermon of all. The sermon of love and grace and mercy and forgiveness. And his blood was his provision. For with the blood we have help. Now our sin can be forgiven. And we have hope. For now we have the promise of eternal life. I'm going to ask that we pray together and as we pray that those who are serving communion will come to the table. Let's bow. Father, we bow before you uh, and affirm that you are our God, our one and only God.
And we give you thanks for who you are and for all that you have done and accomplished in our lives. And we give you thanks that as part of this worship experience that we can gather around this table and remember and be reunited with you through this experience. In Jesus' name, amen.